Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Man, what an opportunity to praise the Lord together. Incredible job. I love that word, Megan. That was so good. How many of you are just thankful that God is still working? (laughs) You're like... You know, you hear that if I'm still breathing, he's still working. Sometimes you feel like that's all you got is like, I'm still breathing. Like that defines the week. But even in those weeks, God is still moving and working. And we've been talking about that in Ruth. I hope you guys have been enjoying our series on Ruth. Uh, A lot of exciting things going on. I'm really encouraged. You know, we... uh, we have an incredible men's team and an incredible women's leadership team as well, both here at our church, and they do a great job uh, as we as a church work towards facilitating relationships and cultivating relationships, uh, not only with each other, but most importantly with Jesus Christ, is that they set up these great events and put a lot of time and planning together for them to, to bless us, to give us an opportunity. So the men have been promoting. I've seen that graphic. I think Jordan Hunky made it. Awesome graphic. Thank you, brother. Um, If I'm wrong, you're still great at graphics either way, but I'm pretty sure you made it, so good job. Uh, But that's actually this Friday. This Friday, uh, David Barry, our men's uh, director, has been sharing it, and all all his men's team has. But this Friday, they're doing a big, uh, like, feast with uh, incredible, like, smoked meats and all kinds of stuff. And uh, we're going to have a time to pray together and grow together. And, you know, every every event's a little different. Like, around Thanksgiving, we're going to have the turkey bowl. Less time of praying and growing together more you know, tackling each other, you know, those kind of things. But this event specifically is a time to come together and, and build those relationships and build spiritual relationships, with this, which is so important. So I want to encourage you, if you have not registered for that, could you do me a favor? And today, just out of honor for, for David Barry and our men's team, would you go register? You can register on the Church Center app or on the website, or you can literally just come tell him today and he'll help you register. But uh, out of honor for that team who has to go buy all this food, and then spend days smoking meats. Would you register today so that we can uh, get that get that all set for them? And then uh, the women's team has an incredible event coming up on the 15th. They're going to a farm. Just gonna just get the boots and the pumpkin spice and I don't know, whatever, whatever, and just go for it. Yeah, I mean, I wear boots and drink pumpkin spice. No shame in the game, all right? Haters gonna hate. Ainers gonna ain't. I'm just saying. PSL. Um... But uh, they're going out. It's going to be a great time, so I encourage you. Same thing. Sign up. Sign up online on Church Center and get connected to that so they know. That's just the way that we honor people, right? How many of you have ever thrown a party and, like, no one signs up till the day of? You're like, guess we're buying a bunch of extra chicken wings, right? <laughs> it's hard to tell, right? And so one of the ways that we show honor and build friendships is by uh, registering for things. <laughs> it's, I know, it's a weird, weird culture. That's our baseline. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but it's really good. God's doing good stuff. But I want to jump into Ruth chapter 3. We've been in a series called The Best is Yet to Come. The best is yet to come. And we've been going through the book of Ruth, and uh, the book of Ruth is incredibly applicable in today's time, to today's uh, era, and especially because it is at the same time as the book of Judges. And the main theme that we talked about the book of Judges is that it was during a time where Scripture tells us everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and the word of the Lord was few. And you're like, that sounds familiar, right? Uh, But it's very applicable because it's how do we face 
Uh, and how do we walk through life faithfully, given all that's happening around us in a world that maybe doesn't celebrate the values that we believe? And there's been a lot of responses, you know, to that. But I think that Ruth encourages us and refreshes us and strengthens us as, as we move forward. And so in Ruth chapter 1, we saw a woman named Naomi and her husband Elimelech who left Israel with their two sons and went to Moab because there was a famine. And they went to a land that God told them not to go to, and they married into people that God told them not to marry into. And in this process, the husband Elimelech and the two sons died. And so the woman, Naomi, was left with two daughters-in-law, Ruth who the book is named for, and Orpah, which is really close to Oprah, but not the same. And, uh, and we see in Ruth chapter 1 that all of these things begin to befall, but the beautiful thing that's occurring is that even in the face of dark times, God was still working and making a way. And we'll see some of those things come to be today. And then in Ruth 2, what we begin to see is that, that life begin to break forth and that life be, begin to, to come out and the good things begin to, to, to burst forth. But most importantly, we saw what happens when we rest under the wings of God. And there is this very powerful moment where Boaz is recognizing that Ruth has taken refuge under the wings of God. And if you weren't here, just a quick recap, what has happened is that Naomi said, you can go back to your hometown in Moab. I'm going to Israel. And Ruth says, no, I'm not going to do that. Even though there is no sons for me to marry, even though there is, you're saying there's no future. Naomi was a bit uh, exhausted, frustrated, bitter, all these kind of things. In fact, she says, like, I'm bitter. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. The Lord is dealt bitterly with me. But Ruth clings to her, but most importantly, clings to God. And in chapter 2, what we saw is she met a man named Boaz. Someone say Boaz. Boaz, good name. I was joking last week that Boaz would be a good name for a child. And uh, then we announced online that we are having our third baby now. So my wife is pregnant. And though Bo is a great nickname, we will not be naming our child Boaz. I don't know. Maybe time will tell. We already have names. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we saw this process, and, uh, and we saw what, what God has been doing with a man named Boaz. And as it turns out, for those of you who weren't here, Boaz is what's called a kinsman redeemer, meaning he was a family member who could actually redeem this line for Naomi and for Ruth. He was, there was a practice in Israel where you could have a redeemer, a family member, marry a, a widowed woman and continue the line and therefore bring about you know, the, this family. So a family lineage ending, meaning that family dies off. But to redeem a lineage means you restore it back to life and it has a hope and a future. That's redemption, hope, future, life, all these things. And so that was essentially the setup of where we are today. And so Ruth chapter 3 really is like the full bursting forth of spring and life. But Ruth chapter 3 asked a good question that I think maybe some of us have asked. Is righteousness worth it? Ruth chapter 3 is going to ask this question, is righteousness worth it? Now, we live in a world that doesn't necessarily value righteousness, per se. Uh, and when I say righteousness, I'm not saying self-righteousness. 
Because you shouldn't value self-righteousness like thinking you're better than other people. That's just being mean, right? That's being self-righteous. Oh, I'm so great. I'm so amazing. Everyone's dumb. I, I just, oh, I hate people. Everyone's stupid. I'm amazing, right? Well, that's not really the right way to go. That's not righteousness. But righteousness, what is righteousness? Righteousness is a zeal for what is good and right according to God's word. It's a zeal, a longing, a hunger for what is good and right according to God's word. Which is very contrasting to our current culture, which has a spoken and unspoken mantra of, if it feels good, do it, right? Don't be held down by puritanical principles of the past. A lot of Ps. Who needs chastity, faithfulness, obedience, purity, right? These are old restrictive things. Just do what feels good in your relationships, in your work, in your life, in your finances, everything. Like whatever you feel, you should do that. That is actually the greatest, most freeing, enlightening, um, evolved thing you could do is to progress to a higher level where you are not hindered by old restrictive ways, but you are free and so we face that question every day because if you do pursue righteousness, or at least if you're considering it, you're faced with a contrast of lots of people who do not pursue righteousness, and yet things, at least on a surface level, seem to be going okay for them. Right? In their relationships, in their purity, in their finances, in their job, in the way they approach things. Right? There might be people in your work who do not pursue righteousness in the way they conduct themselves, but they get promoted. Right? And you ask, well, then is righteousness worth it? Is righteousness worth it? And Ruth chapter 3 would abundantly say, yes, it's worth it. A life pursuing righteousness is blessed. It is blessed. So we're going to jump to Ruth chapter 3. Open your Bibles if you have them. In Ruth chapter 3, Ruth has met Boaz. Boaz has taken care of her. Naomi recognizes, wow, this guy is a kinsman redeemer. He could redeem our family. He can redeem our hope. And so Naomi begins to hope. And as she begins to hope, she begins to dream about what is possible in restoring what is good and right for her family. And Naomi begins to put into place what I think is best described, and I've heard it best described as strategic righteousness. Let me say that again, because it's an important term that we're going to hear today, is strategic righteousness. Strategic righteousness is an intentional and hopeful pursuit of righteousness. Now, a lot of us might function with a passive righteousness, which is, I'm just going to avoid whatever evil might come my way. And that's not to put that down, but to say there's something greater, because that might have worked 10 years ago culturally. I'm just going to avoid whatever's happening. I'm going to lock myself away. I'm not going to make a plan. I'm not going to be strategic. I'm not going to make choices. I'm just going to kind of avoid. I'm going to kind of lock myself and avoid, pull myself, my family away but I believe that God is calling us to a strategic righteousness, which is, in a sense, a longing and a pursuit inspired by hope of how we can begin to dream about how to make things right, how to redeem, how to restore, how to renew, how to uplift, how to bring life not only to us, but to our family through the Lord. So strategic righteousness is a little more exciting, in my opinion. It's inspired by hope. But let's go to Ruth 3, verse 1. You still with me? Amen? Yeah. Amen. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, her meaning Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? 
Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? She was um, uh, gleaning wheat in and among the other young women who were gleaning wheat. That's what it means. It says, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I bet. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So Naomi, she has a plan. I would say I'm joking a little about it, but it's a pretty good plan. She says, okay, Ruth, you need to bathe, you need to anoint yourself, and you need to put on your cloak. And, and I've, I have heard it said here that Naomi is trying to make Ruth like seductive like wow you really really doll yourself up really get yourself really beautiful up because then then he'll be into you and I gotta say if you understand how men work that wasn't needed right <laughs> you wake up and there's a woman at your feet right I think that that alone is enough right but she's saying something that's important because we as as a culture might over sexualize these things but this is a profound strategic righteousness there's a romance here that goes beyond just trying to seduce some guy right what she's saying is Ruth now Ruth has been in a period of mourning because she's a widow she has lost her husband and Naomi is speaking to Ruth and she's saying wash purify herself prepare yourself anoint yourself take off the garments of mourning and put on your cloak and go down it's a new season prepare for the new season there's a real I think gentleness and tenderness of a mom here Right, this is a mom. She's talking to her, her daughter. This is a daughter-in-law. She's saying, listen, we have a plan. Prepare yourself. Get ready. She's not like, girl, you got to try to, you know, seduce this guy. No, she's saying, get yourself ready because we have a plan on how to walk out this person who's going to redeem our family. And I want to bless you. So there's a lot of tenderness and romance here and care here. And the best we can, we need to avoid our Western proclivity to hypersexualize anything that's seen as romantic or intimate in any possible way, right? And so Ruth has been mourning as a widow. Naomi says, it's time to prepare yourself. And she sends her on this plan, right? Don't be stinky. Take a coat. Sounds like a mom, right? Girl, you need to smell good? Take a jacket. It's going to be cold. You're going to be outside. You're going to be in a barn, Right? says, go to the threshing floor, and when Boaz eats and drinks, go go to him. He's going to fall asleep. And this is, again, it's not saying Boaz is going to get wasted, and when he finally passes out, like, go lay down next to him, then you make your move. No. This is just a reality of when they would thresh wheat, they would be away from the main residence. They'd be in the threshing floor in this kind of big, like, barn area. And he says, listen, here's what's going to happen. This dude is going to work. How many of you ever have ever, like, worked in any agricultural sense or seen people work, right? Those are 14, 16, 24-hour days, right? That's like, right, just constant work. And so there's just a reality. Of if you work all day and then you eat some food, like, you get a good steak. You've been working out on the farm. You get a good steak. Guess what you're going to do? go to sleep. You know why? Because you got to wake up at three o'clock in the morning and do it again, right? So you're saying, listen, he's going to go to sleep. You go and lay down next to him. And now this is the part that gets a little provocative, right? So let's go and pull basically his cover back and oh, reveal his feet 
and lay down next to his feet, and when he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. It's like, okay, right? When we read it that way, it can be like, ah, that feels a little odd. But Scripture, and specifically in Hebrew, is making very clear word choices of feet to distance itself from certain parts of the body very descriptively. It's like, listen, lay down next to his feet. That means more in the posture of servant, more in the posture of I'm at your feet. I'm humbling myself. You still with me? This is not really a, a, a scheming widow trying to seduce some drunk older guy. This is a very intentional, very purposeful pursuing of righteousness for their family. And it's good that Boaz is also a righteous man. Because the only reason she can really trust to do this plot is because she knows something about Boaz. He's righteous. You wouldn't just pick some random guy to do this with. Especially in the ancient Near East. We don't need to... Do dive that deep to recognize that the rights of women were different in that moment. If you can't testify in a court of law, it makes a lot of other things and bad things possible against you, right? So this would be a bold move. But it's possible because Boaz is righteous. So here's what happens in verse 6. It says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet, exclamation mark, right? If there was ever a spot for an exclamation mark, that's the spot right there. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. That is a wild moment, right? Boaz wakes up, sees this woman at his feet, and just like, uh, who, right? Now, I'm just going to say, this is a really cool story. Don't do this, single women. Don't break into any dude's house and then pull his sheet. This is not descriptive. This is not prescriptive for you, right? Like, well, the Bible said, so I broke into his house and then just pulled the sheet backs and sheets back and just fell asleep at his feet. And he woke up and he was angry. I don't understand. Like, I just thought we were so close. God told me I was supposed to be with you. You're my redeemer. Don't do that, right? <laughs> You're going to jail. <laughs> or in Hebrew, jail, right? That's how it's going to work for you. Don't do that. But culturally, this is a profoundly beautiful moment. <laughs> Boaz wakes up, sees this woman, says, who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth, your servant. She doesn't say the Moabite. She doesn't uh, say the widow. Things she's defined herself as before. She calls back to this moment and this relational moment that they had had, had previously where she's, he allows her to be with his servants and with his people. And she says, I'm I'm humbling myself before you. I'm coming at your feet. I'm laying really my life at your feet. And she says this beautiful thing. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Remember, redeemer, he was the one that she could marry to continue the line to restore her family so that it wouldn't die off. That's what a redeemer does. It restores what's dead. He says, you can redeem us. And she says this phrase, spread your wings over me. Now, she doesn't just come right out and say, marry me. That would be a lot, right? 
That would be a lot. It's not like they spent a lot of alone time together, right? I mean, this is the ancient Near East. Rich, like, successful older men were not hanging out, or maybe this should still be true, with, like, young widows, right, alone. Like, they didn't go to Chili's together and split an app, right? They, they didn't have this time. They were very distinctly apart, but they had obviously interacted at some points because he understands who she is, she knows who he is, all these kind of things. But he sa she says, spread your wings over me. I love that phrase. Now, in the ESV, it directly translates it as wings because that's the closest word. In the NIV, it's getting this, this overall thought that we're seeing in the Old Testament, which is the word skirt. So yours might say skirt. So if you read that, you might think it is quite provocative because she wakes up and tells this dude to spread his skirt over her. It's an interesting phrase. Now, on the surface, that sounds really, I don't know, provocative, but when we understand the practice of Israel, this was actually a very common uh, metaphor that was used to describe marriage. In the Old Testament, when God described his bride Israel, in Ezekiel 16, he says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment, or yours might say skirt, over you, and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Spreading one's wings over someone was a euphemism for marriage. And so men would often come in and spread their garment over. They, they would be a symbolic placing of a garment as a sign, a pledge of faithfulness to care for a woman. It was symbolic of a new relationship, a declaration where the husband would faithfully provide for a wife. And so Ruth is essentially saying here, I would like you to be the one who pledges their faithfulness to me. It's more than just cover me back up, it's cold. It's would you bring me literally in out of the cold in my life. And if we could, because this is a really like important moment, but if we could just zoom out on the whole story, it's really a, a, an amazing love story. It would be a great, not rom-com, but just rom, I guess. Uh, <laughs> romance movie. I don't watch a lot of those, but I imagine this would be an incredible one. Because when we see their story, what do we see? We see Boaz, he, he sees Ruth, he hears about Ruth, he hears about this woman who's left everything for her mother-in-law. And then he sees her and he's like, nice. She's beautiful, she's working hard, right? Come on guys, you're like, nice, <laughs> right? Like she's gorgeous, but she can like, you know, she gets down in the dirt, right? Like, come on, Ben, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it. You're right here, man. You're right here, man. <laughs> and Boaz comes to her, and he shows kindness to her because Ruth has come under God's wings, he says. But another way to say it would be because Ruth has come under God's wings, she's the kind of woman that Boaz longs to take under his wings. And we see that in how he cares for her in Ruth chapter 2, how he lavishes affection on her and provides for her. But let's be honest, relationships are a complicated thing. You can't just give some gr a girl like a bag of wheat and be like, so we're getting married, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, really think about this. Boaz is older and rightfully so kind of expects that Ruth would young want younger men. He doesn't really fully understand their whole situation. They don't have a ton of alone time together. And also at the same time, Ruth, as a foreign 
widow is likely not going to expect that a wealthy Israelite is going to naturally propose to her and begin a relationship, right? There's some, there's some tension there, right? Will they, won't they, so to speak. But I got to say, uh, you know, it, it would have been impossible or maybe it would have been difficult for Ruth to walk up to her and say, hey, you're my redeemer, marry me, right? Thank goodness that Naomi had some game, Right? I'm just going to say, single people, get somebody in your life who can teach you to have some game, right? Because Naomi had some game. She knew how to be strategic and strategically righteous. She knew how to, how to pursue. She wasn't like, well, just sit around for a while, and since God brought him, maybe, I don't know, he'll figure it out. Just keep picking wheat forever, right? There was some strategic preparation that went in. Single people, you're like, what are you talking about? I don't know. Ask Gillian later. Um, <laughs> But there's something important that's happening here. Think about this story. Ruth has to take a risk because Naomi hears, oh, he, he said you're under his wings. She goes, well, that's, that's the way we refer to God caring about us. That's the way that in, throughout history Israel is going to refer to God caring for them. So, wow, that, that's, an in, that's an incredible thing. He's our redeemer. How do we get him to bring you under his wings so he cares for you and redeems this line? And so Ruth takes this risk. She goes to him, and I love this, in a private setting. It's not public. It's not like a big show. You know, she doesn't like, she, she really does preserve his honor even in this moment. And she lays at his feet, and then he opens, or he, he looks down, wakes up, sees her at his feet. And for us, it is one verse. He sees her, and then he talks to her. But for her, I bet that was an eternity. Right? Could you imagine how long she's just laying there? She probably didn't go to sleep, just waiting for this dude to wake up. Right? Stressed. Right? Could you imagine when he wakes up and sees her? Because, I don't know, I'm a grown man. And if I woke up and saw someone at my feet, it would be a couple reactions. One, like, swift kick, right? Like, full defense mode, right? Like, cacao, right? Uh, or just complete slow confusion, right? Those are the two modes of men waking up. Self-defense and slow confusion. And so, he was about like, oh, just like looking at her, like, oh, what? Who? Who, who are you? You know, like, working it out, right? And I understand that. That's what I would be doing. And her heart has probably just got to be beating in that moment in just the total silence. She says, I'm Ruth. This really is a beautiful romance of people seeking to preserve righteousness. See, the most beautiful romances, they are not an explosion of lust, though, you know, movies tend to make us think that they are. The most beautiful romance is not an explosion of lust, but a strategic pursuit of righteousness. We have a middle-aged man in love with this young widow who, 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 he, who he is tender to and cares for, but he's unsure if she's interested in him or, or these young men that she serves with. And so he's seeking to convey the best he can that he wants to be God's wings for her. Then we have a young widow who's kind of like gradually reading between the lines, risking it all by coming in the middle of the night to take refuge under the wing of his garment. Anyone who sees this as like some sexual uh, uh, seduction or any process is totally missing the point because this is all subtle, all poetic, and above all, it's righteous. Even the way that Boaz responds is righteous because here he wakes up, he sees this woman at his feet. He could have really done anything from that moment. Kind of choose your own adventure here. She says she wants to marry him anyways, right? And so he wakes up in this space 
But look at how he responds. Ruth 3.10 says, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you've not gone after the young men, whether, rich, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it's true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Huge sigh of relief. Also, pause real quick. This is an issue that I have right now, is that, remember Ruth chapter 1 where they go back to town because there's no one to marry? She's got two daughters. How many kinsmen redeemers have we found? Two. That's crazy, right? Naomi, in her previous bitterness, was so blinded by what was possible through God that they went back to a town where she had two daughters and there were two redeemers who could have continued it. But she's like, I'm broken. No one's there. Everything sucks. And it was like, well, actually, there are these two people who are there who could restore it. Like when he says there's another redeemer, you're like, what? There's another guy who's even closer? And you didn't. Re How big is this town? <laughs> right? How big was ancient Bethlehem? You didn't know you had relatives, but I get you didn't have Facebook, but like the walking radius was five miles of the average life. <laughs> How did you not remember Cousin Gary? It's like, well, we didn't really like him. We, okay, that's fine. That's fair. But there is a redeemer. But I love Boaz is overjoyed. He's overjoyed, but his response is to do what is right and good in the eyes of the Lord. Because he said, great, let's get married. He could have said that. Let's do it. What does he say? No, I want to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. He said, I'm a good man. People said you're a good woman. Now that I see you're intentionally pursuing righteousness for you and your family. So I'm going to do what you ask. Righteousness is attractive. Church, listen to me. Young people, because the kids are just having a blast back here. They're, I don't know what they're doing, but it sounds amazing. Righteousness is attractive. Seduction can awaken lust, but righteousness inspires devotion. There's something amazing. Boaz is a righteous man. How do I know? Because here is a single man, successful, working all day in the field. He's worn out. He ate, drank, wake up, woke up in the night. Here's a beautiful young woman sitting at his feet saying, whatever you want to do. And he's like, <clears throat> I'm going to go talk to another guy about marrying you. <laughs> That's self-control. Come on. <laughs> Come on, right? How long has he been? He's an older guy, right? How long has he been waiting to get married, waiting for this opportunity? Here's this beautiful young woman at his feet. He says, I want to do what it's righteous. The culture of his day did not follow the righteousness of God. They would have said, yeah, do what you want. Go for it. But Boaz chose righteousness because he knew the value of a righteous life. The fact he's where he is right now is because he pursued righteousness. He might have thought many days as an older single man, God, why have you not brought somebody into my life? And how often do you think he might have been tempted to take shortcuts to fulfill that longing. And yet look what God does because, because he pursued righteousness. See, the world would say, if it feels good, just do it. Any idea of sin or any shame, that's all just like a guilt-producing tool to keep you from doing what you want to do. Christianity is really just like a list of rules that to, to keep you from expressing yourself. You need to liberate yourself from this, this ancient book of rules written by old men with some kind of like puritanical intent to don't want you to really have fun. You need to free yourself. 
doesn't God just want you to enjoy yourself? Why would he give you this list, uh, the Bible, which is a bunch of rules to hold you back? And that, that's my question. Is it really better to do just whatever feels good? Is righteousness really of a value? Is it really that important at the end of the day? And I was trying to think of how to emphasize this and how to explain this. And I, I like metaphors, and I also love to cook. Does anyone else here love to cook? Oh, man. Three people love to cook? Awesome. Anyone else love to cook? Awesome. I love to cook. I love cooking food. And uh, I, I think a lot when I cook. And so I found this recipe, and I wanted to share it with you today. Is that okay? Okay. I found this recipe. I might need a helper. Uh, I asked... I asked Pastor Katie in first service. Ben, would you come help me? Would you come help me, Ben? Yes, Ben, thank you. Ben, you're, you're going to be my, my handy helper and uh, microphone holder. Can you do that for me, my mic stand? Can we give it up for Ben again? Okay, so I'm going to make Grandma's spaghetti. Now, I'm higher. There we go. Thank you. Now, my grandmother is German and Hawaiian, not known for their spaghetti, uh, but I found one on the internet, and I think it's pretty good, so we're going to go with it. Sorry, Gaetana, who's fiercely Italian. Um, and I'm just going to go through it. I, I realized first service that I made a mistake and didn't bring any way to cook uh, the spaghetti, so I've decided to do more of like an Italian pasta salad. And so, are we good? We can, we can go with me. So here's my, I'm going to look at the recipe. It's grandma's spaghetti here, and it says one cup chopped onion. I have. That's not an onion. That's a pumpkin. <laughs> I just got some stuff. Let me pull this up. Okay. So I have an onion here, and we got this knife. Now, I'm going to do, like, a, a rough chop on this because I'm a rustic guy. And, uh, you know, I just I kind of do my thing. Anybody that cooks, just like, you kind of just do whatever you want, right? Where are you at? You know what I'm talking about? Like, this is a little bit of salt. You do a lot of salt. So I'm going to do a rough chop on this. Now, I know pasta salad, I'm going to leave some skin on. I like it on my potatoes. I feel like it'll be all right on the onion, right? I don't know about you guys. But this knife is so dull, I'm going to lose a finger. That's good. We'll leave a little skin. That's fine. Let's smell good. And then the rest of it, we'll just put our mise en place in here. All right. Uh, then I have a quarter cup chopped basil. Now, I don't have any fresh basil, but I got this basil leaves in a container. And I don't know what a quarter cup is, so I'm just going to kind of mbasa it up here. There we go. I have some of these just kind of. Close enough. Okay. Um, are we, everyone's still with me. Okay, I hope you're enjoying this. We'll move the pumpkin. Someone can take that home later. Dude, you keep getting lower, and I'm like lower down. All right, no, stay right here. You're doing a good job. Um, three cloves, minced garlic. Okay, so here's where I'm going to take a turn in this recipe and kind of go my own way. I know it says minced garlic, and I love garlic. I would do like 12 cloves of garlic here. But I'm going to add, because I know that's the kick element, so I'm going to give it some kick. And I'm going to do something else called... Hot sauce chili habanero el yucateco. Uh, and that, I think, will give us our nice kick. So we're going to hit that in there. That comes from the northern or the s southern part of Italy. And uh, let's see. I, it doesn't matter. We're just doing our own thing here. One teaspoon kosher, okay, kosher salt. There we go. I got that. I, don't, I didn't bring a teaspoon, but that's probably close. Then two cans crushed tomatoes. Okay. This is also where we're going to make a detour as well, because I didn't want to open a can, so I decided to kind of do my own thing for those watching at home. Okay, first of all, it's tomatoes. First of all, it's tomatoes. It's already a sauce, so we'll just let, we're going to layer that in. Just nice. There it is. All right, good. 
More? Ben says more. Mas. Tomate. All right. That's good. Okay. Um, this is what I have. Okay. I'm, just, I'm going with it. I'm doing my own thing. Let me live my life. You guys are, I feel very judged in the house of the Lord right now. There is no, how dare you judge me? I'm just, I'm going with my gut. I'm doing what I feel. Okay. Uh, three tablespoons olive oil. Okay. So this was a problem for me this morning because I couldn't find olive oil. And I was like, what oil do I have? So I grabbed this. This, it looked like a good year. It's a 10W30. I don't know what plant that comes from, but it, it's pungent. We're going for kick, guys. We're going for kick. It says conventional, and we're trying to make it as traditional as possible. And traditional and conventional, same thing. Got to mix that up in here, get the good chunk. Can you, can you smell it wafting? Just let it, let, it, let it waft. You know, it's really the hot sauce that sets it off. That really sets it. But we're doing our own thing, Ben, and I'm proud of us for that. Um, finally, spaghetti. Okay, so I, I don't really want to boil it because, you know, why wait? So I'm just going to do my own thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a bit of crunch here. Any crunch fans? You gotta, a recipe has to have crunch. Yeah, come on, Gillian. You love a good crunch, right? So I'm just going to kind of like rustically, rustically break these up in here like this. And then we'll just kind of stir. Yeah, got to get in there. Get it in there. You all right? Lock it. Lock it down there. Woo! All right, Ben. T out of 10, how are you feeling about what we have so far? I trust you. So, so, so. A 10. Yeah. A 10. All right, give it a shot, bud. Get in there. No, not that much? All right, give it up for Ben. Give it up for Ben then. Okay. Ben, I think we worked very hard on this. I feel a bit judged by the church because we were just going with what I feel. I mean, how many of you, wow, how many of you uh, would really love to have a bite of this right now? No weird youth kid in here in junior high that feels like eating motor oil? No? How many of you would be comfortable with me eating this? No, none of you, of course. But why not? Like, it's not hurting anybody. If I do it, it's not hurting anybody. So why does it matter, right? Yeah, well, you care, right? You care. See, this is the reality, church. The same thing is true in our life. That God has given us directives and guidance in his word for the fullness of life, to nourish our spirit, to give us a hope. But what happens is if we begin to just substitute based on how we feel, we end up making something that will lead us to death that will not nourish our life, that will not restore us or renew us. So if we think of God's word as just, just like a recipe, we think, oh, it's just a list of rules to keep me from having a, doing what I feel and having a good time. Sure, that's one way to think of it. Or it's an, another way to think of it is God loves us so much that he has given us his word to guide us and direct us in the way we should go. That his word is good. And when we, we walk according to his word produces good things, meaning like this, when in my relationships, I go to God's word and I say, what does the Lord, what does Jesus Christ say about how, how I operate and live in relationships? 
I don't live in a way of like, oh, God, you give me a list of things I can't do, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. No. I say, Lord, thank you that you love me as your child, right? I would never feed this to my child. God does not want you to feed you poison either. He doesn't want you to, to even step foot or take a place or take a bite of something that could poison you. So when I look at my relationships, I say, God, how have you called me to greater purity and integrity in my relationships? Because I want to be nourished. I want life. I want to be built up, not poisoned and sick. When I look at my finances, I go to the Word and say, God, what have you called me to do? I don't go to the worldly standards. I don't make substitutes because they are convenient, quick, easy, close by, close enough. I go and say, God, what are you saying? When I look at my work, I go to the Word and I see that it says, do it as unto the Lord. Everything you do is unto the Lord. So though I might see people in my company who are treating people, who are making substitutes and who are doing shortcuts that I know are against what God has taught, I'm not putting them down. I'm not attacking them. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Because God's goodness not this crazy, I mean, just imagine if I had actually made this. It would be so good. I mean, I hope we all go for Italian food later, and you just remember this sermon in your life just every time you eat Italian, so like every three days for me. <laughs> How good and nourishing it would be. God's goodness is rich. It's healthy. It's a nourishing meal. But when we substitute God's standards for worldly standards, we begin to create problems within the health of our soul. If I had done the whole recipe but still done the motor oil, that would not be healthy still. And yet we will often make small substitutions that still poison us, but because we like slide them in there, we think it's okay. And, and, and I'm not saying that to guilt us or to shame us or put us down, but because God believes in greater things for us. Jesus Christ says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. When we substitute godly directives with worldly desires, we only poison ourselves. God is not restricting you. He's preserving your life. He died so that you might have life. The world promises it can't satisfy you. It's pungent. But it'll eventually lead to death. Jesus says, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. Those who pursue righteousness, those who hunger for righteousness will be satisfied. Proverbs 21, 21 says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Is righteousness worth it? Yes. Jesus says, the things of this world will never satisfy. Church, let me ask you a question. Have you allowed things into your heart that are substitutions for what God intends, substitution for his righteousness, for his truth, for his word? Have you allowed them into your heart today? The good news is God is so good at healing your heart that he comes in and he purifies and he restores and he renews. He doesn't say, well, you're stuck with it now. Have fun eating a big old cup of death. He says, no, I came so that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And we say, God, I repent before you. And I lay it all down. And guess what he says? Amen. I receive it. And he renews you. Ben, would you come up today?
I love Ruth and Boaz because there are many opportunities that they could have taken a shortcut and still maybe got a similar result or, or something different or something that satisfied in the moment. But Ruth and Boaz make a choice for strategic righteousness, to pursue righteousness. And it leaves us with this question, not only is righteousness worth it, yes, I see, God, how you're moving in righteousness in their lives, but also, will I pursue righteousness in my life? Will I simply try to avoid evil, or will I tangibly, will I take steps to say, God, how do I pursue your will for my life? Will I read your word? Will I study your scripture? Will I get down on my knees and pray and seek you and give everything to you? Will I pursue righteousness? Will I hunger and thirst for righteousness and be satisfied? Would you stand with me this morning? Scripture tells us to leave behind whatever sin holds us and run the race ahead to pursue righteousness. So would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? First, if you have never received the freedom of Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you today that his freedom is here in this place. Maybe you feel like you've been just drinking from that bitter cup and it has not satisfied But today you long to receive hope and healing and life that comes through him. The word of God says that the Lord made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus went to the cross and took your sin, so today when you repent before him, it is already gone, it is already paid for, you are already free. So this morning, if you have never received the hope and the healing that comes through Jesus Christ, and you're here to say, Lord, I want to receive your righteousness that comes through you. I repent and give you my heart today. Would you do me a favor? Would you just lift your hand and put it back down so I can pray for you this morning? Jesus, I give you my heart as my Lord and Savior. Let me pray for you this morning. Jesus, I thank you that if anyone is in you, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And we pray this morning, God, that those who even right now feel far from you, that as they lay their heart before you, God, that you would come near to them and speak your love upon them and renew them today in your name. Second, with our eyes still, still in this mode, before we worship, we're going to sing this song that you're not done with me, you're doing a new thing, and we're going to believe that God is going to begin to restore today. But if you're here and you feel like you have made some substitutes in your life, you have allowed some substitutions, maybe in different parts of your life, for what the Lord has spoken. And you have made those choices that counter what you know to be his truth for your life. And very clearly today, you're not coming under shame or guilt, but you want to step into freedom and release those things. It comes through repentance. Repentance is not a bad word. It is an amazing word where we lay our sins at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I give them all to you and declare you as Lord over them. If you have allowed substitutions, but you're saying today, God, would you come and just empty my bowl and make me clean and wash me water than snow and renew me today. I give everything to you. I reject and repent of all substitutions. If that's you and you're 
you're saying, God, just come purify my heart. I release the things that, have, that, have, that I've accepted as substitutions in my heart today. Would you just lift your hand with me? I want to pray for you. You're saying, God, I'm releasing the substitutions that I've allowed in my life, in my relationships, in my work, in my attitude, in all parts, and I give them to you. I surrender them to you. Come and make me new. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you that you are making us new, that you are renewing even right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Jesus, that your mercies are new every day. And so right now, those things that have been allowed to come in, we repent of them and lay them at your feet. Right now, we say no more. We say we will not substitute. We will not give up. We will not release to the things that are lies of the world, but we walk in the fullness of you. And so I pray right now, would you purify hearts? I pray right now, would you reveal the depths and riches of your love? God, that there is no shame in repentance. There is only freedom. So right now, I pray freedom over your heart. I pray life over your spirit right now that you would be renewed by a God who loves you and is not done working and that you would know in any moment, not only this moment, but any moment to come that you can lay that down before him and say, God, I give you everything. I give it to you when I'm frustrated. I give it to you when I've allowed bitterness in. I give it to you when I've allowed lust in. I lay it and repent at your feet and I pray God begin to move upon my spirit. God, we give it to you in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen. Let's worship the Lord together this morning. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.